authentic, intentional, bold, empowering. These are just a few words that come to mind when I think of McEarl Dave Andres, also known on Instagram as Miss Earl. As a student council leader in Hawaii, I was first introduced to who this firecracker of a human being is at a student leadership conference, where I also coincidentally met Chachi. And as I followed him on social media almost five plus years later, and have met friends who have been more deeply and directly touched by his compassion, I've become inspired to learn more about his story. McEarl, a queer Ilocano who beautifully exhibits both aloha spirit and critically engaged Catholicism, is someone whose intersections of identity, though unique and one of a kind, resonate with my own journey. And it is my pleasure to introduce her on this podcast today. I am so excited to um, have this conversation with a long time coming friend of mine. And I've met this person since I believe it was high school or middle school. I don't remember, but I know it's been a long time coming friend. And uh, I just, I just, I'm always really inspired by them, by how much like courage and willingly they are open to doing anything and just their bravery and I am using no pronouns because I just wanted it surprised before revealing who they are so um one last thing before I kind of reveal who this person is is that uh, I think you know you know you will know who this is just by the sound of their voice and the enthusiastic. But um, without further said and do, can I have our guests introduce themselves, their personal pronouns, preferred name, um, what generation they're from, and what Filipino dish dress. That was a mouthful. Hello, everybody. <laughs> Oh, just by my laugh, you already know who I am. Hello, my name is uh, Mick Earl Dave Andres. I use uh, he, him, she, her pronouns. Um, I go by Mick Earl. On Instagram and Twitter, I use at um, M-S-E-R-L, so Miss Earl. Um, and a lot of folks have called me Miss Earl, Earl, Mick Earl, and whatnot. Um, I am, a, I believe, I'm a second-generation um, immigrant, uh, from Barangay 46, Nabulawag City, Ilocos Norte. Woohoo! Shout out to the Ilocano. <laughs> um, and I am an immigrant, immigrated to Hawaii in 2006, um, became an American citizen 10 years after in 2016, um, and am now living in Washington. So exciting stuff. Um, if I was a Filipino dish, I don't know. I think. I know, I know Manong Dean said peanut, and that's what I've always thought of myself because, but something different. I'll be hollow, hollow because rich, colorful, sweet, but like if you have too much of me, like it's like bad for you. So hollow, hollow. <laughs> colorful, like fun, but yes. delicious. 
yes <laughs> i <laughs> i love it um one thing why is the one thing that you mentioned i think i was also thinking of you like pinup bed but hello hello <laughs> i kind of see the the hello hello because you're just a mix of different flavors like you don't know what you will get right you don't know if you're getting more sago that day if you're getting <laughs> if you're getting more gulaman or if you're gonna get a brain freeze from the ice like you just never know it depends where you go mm-hmm. so like with that miss mcearl where is your family, family? Uh, is from Barangay 46 Nalbolawag City, Ilocos Norte, Philippines. Um, so we are proud Ilocanos. Um, we have, yeah, proud Ilocanos in Barangay 46. So the way, the best way to know where my family's from is when you're going to Lawag International Airport, we're literally on that street all the way down. <laughs> all the way down, that's where we're at. So we're near the airport. My neighbor. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're literally neighbors. I, I'm pretty sure my mom knows your parent because of the position my mom held in the Philippines and your dad's job in the city. Like, I am pretty sure they're, like, friends. <laughs> I know, right? And we also came to Hawaii at the same year. We did. We did. We did. But we've and never met. We've never met. And you lived with my cousin uh, when you... Uh, what grade were we? I think we were in middle school or elementary, elementary middle school, um, across of Campbell in Lima. Yeah, there. So yeah, so they're my cousins, and then so I think that's how we met. I didn't know they were your cousins. Yes, I think I saw you at one family party, and I was like, okay, that's how we met. And then we kind of just evolved our friendship, middle school and then high school leadership conferences, and here we are, adults. I know. <laughs> that's so funny like we never know until today that's your childhood right so with that um i know similar backgrounds being an immigrant i wanted to start off easy and fresh but how well do you know your filipino culture and identity Tachi, that's not easy <laughs> <laughs> that's a lot of unpacking oh no i'm kidding how well do i know my filipino culture and identity i think i know i know it well I, I'm still pretty connected to the culture. I speak Ilocano and Tagalog. And my my parent, my mom in particular, and my siblings talk to me in Ilocano. And I still have and keep in contact with my family back home because my mom uh, still has her two sisters. I have my first cousins, my cousins. You know, our whole clan is still in the Philippines on my mom's side. And a few of them in my dad's side. So we still keep in contact. And I'm so grateful for social media uh, for the positive impact that it has because it allows us to connect with each other and we're still able to kind of talk stories and share the chismes and <laughs> the things that are happening in the Philippines and so like I think I still know um, language-wise that's still there um, the cultures and practices it's still there um, it's still kind of embedded in me as a Catholic folk who is still practicing Catholic that's a big part of the culture. But I also understand a lot of the things I don't identify with, I should say, is a part of the Filipino culture. Like, I think when you had a conversation with Athena um, Abadilla, who's also one of our good friends, she talked about Muslims as part of the Filipino culture and like how it was something that was surprising with her. It's like, yeah, like I knew that, but it wasn't something that I, you know, talked about. I follow the politics. I follow a lot of the practices and the cultures and the um, 
tongtongans and the, all the different things that happen. But it's difficult to kind of see where I stand in that culture because it's like, for most of our lives now, we're here in you know in the United States. Um, as as so, my Filipino identity is kind of rooted on what I still have with me that I brought, and it's um, it's things that are not tangible, um, but hold so much power. You know, like the values that are instilled with us about praying often, uh, respecting your elders, um, you, you know, giving signs of respect. Um, you know, like those are still things that are embedded and not forgetting our native tongue. Like even if sometimes we say things in Ilocano or Tagalog, but like there's that Americanized accent almost in our language or it becomes taglish um, when we talk. But it's like it's still embedded in that, you know, like that's still something for us Filipino-Americans and Filipinos immigrants to still kind of celebrate is that even if our language has evolved from Filipino or our language has strongly been Americanized, it's still an identity that we can still hold and be proud of and showcase because it's still rooted, you know, in the Philippines. And the reason I said that this was difficult and it's hard to unpack is that it's hard to identify as Filipino when growing up, a lot of the things that we were kind of shared with was just food, the language, and TFC or GMA, whichever you watch, you know, like those are the things that we got to see and not necessarily the livelihood and the life that happens in the Philippines. That's an interesting point that you bring up, especially because like a lot of the conversation that goes around with this is like um, when we ask others like how well do you identify being Filipino, people usually say, oh, it's my family. That's the number one answer. And like one thing that you shared that I think really was so important is um is when you came here to Hawaii specifically, when you came to America, this is where um you brought you only brought certain things to here. And that's all. And it's just like you bring this baggage of knowledge of culture. And then it's, I guess, our responsibility to either continue it or is it our continue it or do we assume? Right, right. And I think the hard part about the uh, intangible baggages, um, baggage in a way that's not necessarily negative, um, is like sometimes as folks growing up in America, we have to, we come to learn about unlearning certain things, you know, like how it wasn't, it was, I had to unlearn that Catholicism, though it is practiced a lot in the Philippines, is not a superior, is not a superior uh, religion, you know, like there are so much more religions and that folks can identify with in the Philippines. And it was, it was difficult to unlearn because growing up, like that's all that I had, you know, and then you come to America where it's like you learn more and then you meet Filipino folks who may not be Ilocano, who may not share the same identities. And, and it's a whole new um, perspective. And I think especially from Hawaii, it's a whole different world, you know, like we talk to Tagalogs and Visayans and to people from Mindanao, to the Filipinos who are not Catholic, who go to Iglesia Ni Cristo, who are 
you know, Mormons, Methodists, X, Y, and Z. And it's just like, like, wow, like being from Ilocos, all we knew was being Ilocano. <laughs> it was just about us being Ilocano, eating our tupig, eating our um, and and like empanada, our, long, our, our vegan, you know, like all the vegan longanisa. And those are the things that we grew up with. And it's different because we come from the same country, which is the Philippines, and move to Hawaii all together. But it's just like, we have different experiences and different perspectives, you know? And so it, it's like, what do we know about our culture, really? It's hard. What do we, how can we identify with our Filipino culture if we don't know the whole culture? I think it's, it's hard. It's like, I can identify with my Ilocano folks and my experiences as an Ilocano, but do, do, do I identify in a whole Filipino folk? Ah? That's, that's, that's up for debate. And that's a lot of on my end to learn and unlearn. Mm-hmm. Again, you bring up a lot of good points. Like we all hear, there's a lot of immigrants that um, have similar story, has different stories. Like there's some immigrants who may have come here at a young age and they, they forgot the language because it's not as, it's, it's not passed down to them but then here we are we're still we're immigrants but we're still retaining the language we still have some left of our culture and I think it's how we were brought up and how we put ourselves out there right and I think I think you brought up a really good um, word in your question earlier what was about like do we stay strong in who we are or do we assimilate and I this this the word assimilate just it's it's a lot to unpack and I'm going to say the word unpack so much um, because I, that's just like, I, I love to unpack. Um, <laughs> it's just like about assimilating. The expectation is just like, oh, you're assimilating to something that's superior. You know, like it becomes like, oh, why are you assimilating to white supremacy? Why are you assimilating yourself to something that you think is more superior? And it's like, it's not just assimilating. Like, I feel like there has to be a hybridity of staying true to who you are and and how you identify, but at the same time, assimilating to this new culture or including or adding yourself, adding a new identity to you, you know? Like, it's no longer just, I'm Filipino, and so I'm going to stay strong as who I am. Um, But it it, it becomes uh, having a conversation of, I'm Filipino, living in Hawaii in America, you know, like, it's just like not fully assimilating, not fully like forgetting about who you are, but in order for your stories to be heard, in order for you to go up, you have to not necessarily assimilate. And I, and I used to, and I hate to use this phrase, but it's like, you have to play the game. It, 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 it's, it's not really a game, but it, it, it's life, you know, like you have to know the language, you have to know the instructions of a game, you know, like when you play, when you play Monopoly, how are you going to get, my dog is just here next to me. And I'm so sorry to all of you listening. She's trying to lick my face and have a good time. But um, it's like, I hate to use the term playing the game, but it's like, if you don't know how to play the game, you're not going to win. And it's, and life is not about winning. It's about like moving. It's about growing. And you can't grow your investments. You can't grow yourself. You can't water your plants if you don't know how to, if you don't know how to get certain things, you know? 
And it's like, it's, it's not necessarily playing the game of poker of, um, or I, I won't even use that because I don't even know poker, but it's like, it's not even, it's using play the game has a different meaning, but it's a positive one in a way that it's like, you just have to understand your environment and the culture that you're now a part of. And yeah. Mm-hmm. That's really, oh, I, I actually really like that because like, I think when we hear the world, like when I hear the word assimilation to other spaces, they would think like, we don't have to assimilate, but the way you put out there, like sometimes I guess we have to, but not in a bad way. We have to right. assimilate in a good way. And I guess right. that's how that's how the mindset should be like. Yeah. And I think it's like, there's, there's nothing wrong with assimilating to culture. And I think like, for example, our Sakada folks, the, the folks, the Sakadas, they didn't, come in and like, okay, I'm going to learn English and English is all I'm going to know. Like they didn't come in and it's like, oh, I'm just going to um, speak whatever language is being spoken in Hawaii because I need to assimilate. They assimilated in a way that became sharing of culture, creating this whole new language in a way that they could understand. It became pidgin. And it is now something that's talked, you know? And like, there's a lot of words in our, in, in local Hawaii culture that is derived from the Sakadas, you know? And it's like, they didn't assimilate to learn English. They assimilated to learn parts of each other's languages so that they can communicate. Because imagine if you put the Ilocanos, the Chinese, the, and all the, all, the, um, all the plantation workers together, and they all didn't speak one language. Like, how would they communicate? So they had their own system. And I think that's a model that we can all follow of how can we come together sharing our language or sharing in a way that we're not forgetting who we are, but we are not giving something of ourselves, but we are sharing something of ourselves while taking in what others are sharing with us. So as immigrants, like we come in with rich knowledge about where we come from and what richness are we going to grab to, to um, incorporate in our lives in the same way that we are contributing to the American way of life. I think this is like a whole, a whole thesis statement right there. <laughs> <laughs> I, think if I, was, I think if I was doing my thesis on the Filipino diaspora, shout out to Jethro, who actually is doing a research and I, I, I have my interview with him next week. Um, I, I'm excited, so... It'll be a conversation for sure, a conversation. And with that, I wanted to kind of bring up another heavy, heavy one, which is, have you personally struggled with embracing your culture identity then? I think, I think embracing the culture isn't hard, you know, because our culture embraces us first. Our culture loves us first. Our culture gives to us first. But I think... What I struggled with in college and even struggle with now is identifying with the culture. It's not to say I'm renouncing being Ilocano, being Filipino, but it's like it's hard because what I know of the Philippines is so filtered by media, by social media. It's filtered by the conversations It's filtered by so many other things that's not my experience. 
And while I identify, like, it, it, I, I struggle because I believe that identifying isn't just writing it on a piece of paper, you know, like it's not just, oh, what's your ethnicity for an application for a job for whatever that may be? Like, what's your race, your ethnicity? Like, it's not just about putting Asian, Filipino or whatnot, or however you identify, but it's like, you have to live it. You have to live the experience. And because we're in the United States, and I think what's even, what's even harder is that I'm in the continental U.S., is that it's hard to live that life, you know, because there's not much life of that offered. The most Filipino thing I do, I think, is cooking food. And I identify through the food. I identify with what I, I identify with the culture that brings it to me. But do I fully identify is a harder conversation. And I think in college, what I struggled with a lot and was that there were a lot of Filipinos, but it was a mixture of Filipinos who are from the Philippines and Filipinos who have never been to the Philippines. And the Filipino club was was good in essence. You know, like it, it was good because you got to interact with Filipinos, you got to meet Filipinos and kind of share in that culture with them. But the difficulty was it was like, this is not the Philippines I know. And so it was like kind of, it, I, I, it was an identity crisis overall in college was that I'm Filipino, I identify as Filipino, but why am I not so engaged with the Filipino club? Why am I not so engaged with Filipino club? And it was like, now that I'm, now that I've grown a little bit more, added a few more years to my life it, and continue to seek to reflect on my identity, it's about like, it was hard because the Philippines I knew is from 16, uh, from 10 years. No. Oh my goodness. How long have I been in America? 14. 15, 14 going in 15, 15 years. Yeah. 14, 15 years. Like th- that's what we know, you know, like it's been 15 years and yes, I visited, but it's like every time I visit, it's a whole new culture, a whole new culture. And I still have my friends from kindergarten to second grade and we still keep in contact and whatnot and some of my teachers but it's like Philippines is continuing to evolve and Mick Earl is continuing to evolve and they're evolving away from each other and so as I'm trying to kind of not move so far away me not moving so far away is just like the basics of being Filipino which is hard because as as much as I want to raise the Filipino flag and stand with the Filipinos it's just like do I really know what it means to be Filipino do I really know what it means to be a Filipino person in 2021 or 2022 in this coming year, you know? And that's, that, that's a heavy thing to hold, I think. And as a lot, of, a lot of folks from our generation, I struggle with identity. And it's because of like, as we're learning about ourselves, we're learning that we're no longer, or we're not as much of something as we thought. Like to put Filipino on paper, but to not live a full Filipino life, if that even makes sense. Like it's, it's, it's easy. It's easier. It's easier said than done. <laughs> it's easier said than done. You know, like I, I don't like, and, and I hate to have the colonizer mindset of, Oh, I know the Philippines. I eat Filipino food. Oh, I know the Philippines. I know some, you know, I know how to sing bakit ba. You know, like, I know the Philippines, I've seen the pictures. Oh, I know the Philippines, I've been to the Philippines. But it's like, do I know the struggles of what it means to be a Filipino? Do I know what it means to live 
a Filipino life in the 21st century now? Probably not, you know, in the same way that because I'm, we're walking different paths. We're, we're on a different path to somewhere else. And it sucks, but I will always be proud to be Filipino. But in the, in the depth of identifying as Filipino, it's, it's a work in progress. It's a work in progress. And I don't know if we will ever be able to fully identify as Filipino. And with that said, thank you for sharing. But first and foremost, um, do, you, do, you, do you have a hard time identifying as a Filipino? Or do you even identify as a Filipino American? Um, I, I, I've never, I've never called myself a Filipino American. Um, and, and, and I don't mean that in a negative way. It's just, I don't know what it means to be a Filipino American. I will always identify as an immigrant from the Philippines because I think that's more me than a Filipino American. You know, like I've definitely grown into the American culture, definitely grown to understand much of America and what it means to be American. Um, because that's our K to 12, you know, we've been in school. I was, I'm still in school and I'm learning different parts of school as as an aspiring member of the education world, you know, but it's like Filipino American. I don't know. Filipino. Yes. But I will always tell folks that I'm an immigrant from the Philippines because I think that is its own identity. And going back to that question that I was just answering earlier, I think it's that. It's like, I'm an immigrant from the Philippines, you know? Like, it, it, I, I can't just be Filipino. Because as an immigrant, I had to assimilate or I had to learn or unlearn things that Filipinos didn't have to. But at the same time, Filipinos in the Philippines had to live and go through struggles that I, as an immigrant from the Philippines, didn't have much less a Filipino-American who, by definition, born in America, probably, you know, like maybe have a different lifestyle. Like I think if I were to, if you were to sit, if, if in one room there was a Filipino living in the Philippines from the Philippines and a Filipino-American born in America and have them have a conversation about certain things, the narratives of that conversation will be so rich and so different. Like, I think our understanding of religion will be different. Our understanding of gender identity and sexuality will be different. Our understanding of the education system would be different, you know? And th- that conversation and that narrative, each, each person's narrative will be so different, but so rich. And so it's like, no, it's hard, it's hard for me to identify as Filipino. It's hard for me to identify as Filipino-American but I will always be proud to say that I'm a Filipino immigrant or an immigrant from the Philippines. Thank you for your honesty. And I think that's so important. And like one thing that I kind of thought of like, or was just thinking about when you were speaking is like this then, this narrative that we see like people hold like there are like here in America, we are known to be Filipino Americans, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. But then there's also many Filipino, quote unquote, Americans who were our immigrants but because they live in an environment that had no Filipinos, no resources, they had no choice to call themselves Filipinos. Right, right. And it's just like different environments. And, and I'm fortunate that my mom instilled in me, you know, Filipino values and culture, that I can still hold in me what it means to be Filipino. And, and like going back to what I said, like it's, it's on the basis of what I grew up with, 
but it's just like that's all I know, you know. And like, yes, I can read about the Filipino culture. Yes, I can read books. Yes, I've read No Limitangere. Yes, I've read uh, books by um, I forgot his name, Andrew Rebeck, about like you know the politics and whatnot. But it just that's all I know, you know. Like it, it's not experiences, and it's so hard. And and I refrain from, and I refrain from just identifying based on reading because we can read from, and, and we know this, you know, if you go into higher education or once you learn about education in general, it's like reading from textbooks, great. Sure. A plus for reading. But to live the experiences, you know, in a sociology, anthropology mindset of like, being in the field of what you're reading so different so and like kind of adding in in addition to kind of putting all together before i ask even a harder question is um especially like taking in all of the culture that you brought that you took with you when you left the philippines and like our conversation with identity um because it's one of the most taboo 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 in the Philippines. I wanted to ask because, and you wrote about it on your blog, and like I've been really wanting to have this conversation. And I think oh! you know where this is going. <laughs> Fire away, Chachi. <laughs> and I want to ask this because this has been a question and like a, a conversation that I've had in like multiple spaces. And it's different. It's really different uh, because it's really different when I had it with them, but I want to ask you personally, because you're so open, how is it like being a Catholic immigrant and a gay Filipino? <laughs> wow. Um, since we're in this topic, and I already talked about this, I have a blog. It's called um, Thoughts from My Intersection. Um, it's basically unpacking my intersectionality. Um, in a nutshell, for those of you who are listening, um, its intersectionality was coined by Kimberly Shaw, um, and it derives from the struggles of uh, Black women um, during the feminist movement. Um, she wrote it in her paper about uh, intersectionality and her struggle and the struggles of uh, Black women identifying with the white feminist culture. And she coined the term intersectionality to state that I can't fight the same fight that white, that white feminists fight for because it's not the same struggles as mine. And um, after learning about that and after unpacking and um, understanding the sole purpose of intersectionality, and she, she later invites in her book and in her papers and in her talks, she invites folks to have the conversation about intersectionality and kind of expanding it. And so after learning about it um, in school, I kind of took it and ran with it in my understanding of intersectionality. And so if you're interested, uh, thoughts from my intersection.blogspot.com um, where I unpack my intersectionality. Intersectionality is the understanding that a person is more than just one thing. A person is not just their ethnicity, not just their race, not just their culture, not just their um, gender, identity, sexual orientation, um, socioeconomic background. But intersectionality is all of that. Um, it is a holistic understanding of the person. It is an understanding that 
no person is the same. Like uh, we can identify the same way. Uh, we can write the same things for each boxes, but we will never have the same lived experiences. And that's the beauty of intersectionality is that uh, there's a lot of it. I think what's also um, important to note about intersectionality is that it comes from oppression. Um, oppressed folks um, in identifying, but I think that it's important conversations to happen. Um, and so that's why I always talk about intersectionality in spaces that I go to, so that we reflect on our intersectionality, our bias is as our bias, as our privileges, as our oppressors, or as things that we need to work on or things that we can see within ourselves because it gives us a whole new perspective. Intersectionality has allowed me to see a lot of the things I talked about tonight um, with Chachi uh, in that. So how is it like being a gay Filipino Catholic? A lot of, a lot to unpack. So um, it's, this, this, my experience is very different, I think, from the experiences of a lot of different, a lot of other folks who identify, who are gay, Catholic, and Filipino. Because as a Filipino, being gay is like not seen as a sin, but it's something that you just shouldn't be. It's something that you shouldn't be doing. It's something that's wrong. And so it's, it's something that's unnatural. It's something that's not acceptable. But in that same culture, in the Filipino culture, it's okay to have gay celebrities. It's okay to laugh at and with gay folks who dress in drag, who have long hair. Um, it's okay to go to salons and have a gay person cut your hair. It's okay for them to color your hair, to dye your hair. Um, and then if they're on TV, like it's okay to be like, oh, wow, I admire him, et cetera, et cetera, or I admire them, et cetera, et cetera. But when they are living in the spaces with you, it becomes a, oh, you shouldn't be doing that. Like, ooh, what are you doing? And I share this, this perspective of being a Filipino first because when I went to the Philippines, like living in America, I wore a dress to go to the market with my cousins and we were just going. And I saw someone pull out their camera, pull out their cell phone and recorded me walking, laughing because I was wearing a dress. You know, I presented male with my hair and my face and whatnot, but I was in a dress. So that was unnatural. I went to the casino with my family and I was wearing a dress and the security guard told me I was not allowed to enter because I was wearing a dress and that because I'm a male, I'm supposed to be wearing pants and t-shirt in order to enter that casino, you know? And so there, there's a lot of oppression that's happening. When you add Catholic, it becomes like, oh, that's a sin. That's something you shouldn't be doing, you know? Um, Catholics, plural Catholics, folks, uh, people, um, believe that it's wrong. Um, the Bible says it's wrong, is the, you know, the thing that we say. Marriage is between a man and a woman. Marriage is, um, people who are in relationships are to be married um, in the house of God. And that if they are married, that they are, um, that they procreate, you know. 
that is what a lot of the conversation that happened. And I, and I'm very active in my Catholic church in any church that I'm a part of, you know, like I've, I've been very active. And so being me in a Catholic church is difficult when I, as I identify as a gay person in both of those spaces and identifiers, it, it becomes an intersectionality that's like, as if imagine you're at an intersection, you know, like there's a four-way intersection and there's cars going at the same speed, you know, gay, Catholic, Filipino, boom, car crash, right? And it's just like, how do I make it work? And it depends on how I look at it, you know? And what I've been grown with is that God, as, as a Catholic, it's that God is love. And when what you're sharing is giving up is love, then God is present. Um, if I, I had a conversation with a priest um, who I've known for a really, really long time, and, and I was like, hey, like, I'm gay. And he said, oh, okay. And I was like, you're not mad. You're not going to tell me to go to confession. You're not going to tell me. And it was like, uh, no, um, because God loves everybody. And if you love someone, if you share love with someone, you're sharing God with them. Now in the church, you can't get married, but it doesn't mean that we love, we are supposed to love you any less because God calls us to love. And one of my favorite scriptures is the one where it says, love thy neighbor, where Jesus said to them, my commandment to you is love thy neighbor as I have loved you. And I, and I love it. And it's one of my favorites because there's no qualifiers to the love that he's asking for. There's no love your neighbor, except if they're gay. God never said that. God never said, love your neighbor, except if they're gay, except if they're Brown, except if they're um, an immigrant, except if they're, uh, if they're criminals, except if, except if they're homeless, except if they're X, Y, Z. But people have made it so difficult to follow the commandment for them. They've made it so difficult for themselves to follow God's commandment of just loving your neighbor. And I think that's what I'm trying to live out in my Catholic faith as a gay person with every person that I encounter is that God is love. And if we're called to love our neighbor, then let's love the gay person. Let's love the um, let's love the gay person. Let's love the immigrant. Let's love each person. Let's not make it hard to love. And and I really believe that one day when I go to heaven, hopefully, please God, um, is that when I, when I go to heaven, when I'm at the pearly gates, I'm not going to be asked, "Hey, my girl, were you gay?" It was like, a, it would be a, did you love your neighbor as, as God has loved you? Did you obey your parents? You know, it, it's going to become the 10 commandments. Those are the things, as long as I can follow the 10 commandments and the commandments of God, I think I'll go to heaven. Hopefully, please God, you know? Um, and that's why, that's what I've been holding on to is the promise of love. It's my relationship with God. 
It's my understanding of who God is and that I believe that God is loving, God is merciful, and that's how I can live my life as a gay Catholic. And the last thought, sorry, I rambled a lot, but I think the last thought that I can share is Thomas Merton, Merton, who was a um, monk, great theologian, who I think should be a saint, but he wrote a book called Silence Joy. And in the first few pages, he says, our understanding of God says more about ourselves than it says about God. Our understanding of God says more about ourselves than what it says about God. Because if, if we think that God is love, then we try to emulate love. But if we think that God tells us to shun people, to disperse people, to spew Bible verses outside of conventions, to spew, to write on a paper that says God hates homos or God hates the FAGS. Like if, if we're just trying to say that, then it says more about who we are as people than God. Because God never said that I hate gay people. God said, love your neighbor. And then he didn't say, you're a straight neighbor. And so that's the promise of God that I hold deep. I just felt like I sermoned. <laughs> that felt like a homily of some sort. But I was thinking the same thing. That's what's like, um, do I have to take a few minutes? <laughs> like wow i surprise myself sometimes <laughs> i was like okay i need to take a few moments and no like, for sure for sure recollect <laughs> for sure for sure but that was really that was a whole lot to take in and i think that is one thing that if i were to ask someone who went to who who has similar experiences who went to a catholic school they would feel very, very different. They would feel very oppressed because of how the church um, acted towards them. And I feel like it's just, especially within the gay community in the Philippines and here, we're really seen, they're really seen as different. They're very, they don't have enough resources. They're seen, they're very, if you're not a celebrity, you're not seen as good enough. But one thing I've, one thing I ask actually is like those celebrities who are gay, how did their families treat them any different? Yeah. And I think it's, it's, I think, I think going back to what you shared about, you know, those who went to Catholic schools, it's that, you know, their environment is much different, you know? And it's like, we, we won't know for sure how their environment is like, but I think what's important to note is that though their environment was different, it's still so valid. Like, while my experiences has been positive, it doesn't invalidate their, their negative experiences. And as their negative experiences with the Catholic Church or the Catholic school or the Catholic faith has been negative, it does not invalidate my positive experience. But I think what I really tell folks if I meet with LGBTQ plus folks and they tell me about their struggles is that, you know, I thank them for sharing because it's, it's, it's hard to share and unpack a lot about yourselves. But I think what I, I, I tell them to do is that know why you're here. You know, like 
be be present in this space right now and disregard the barriers, the negativity, and things that stop you and from having a positive relationship or a positive environment in this space, but rather be empowered to create meaningful and positive experiences, not just for yourself, but for those that come after you. And I think you bring up such an excellent point again with that, because I feel like everyone has this, everyone's story is important and it shouldn't be disregarded. They all add up for a whole bigger piece. Yeah, for sure. And I think that was that was a whole a lot to more unpack but we have to unpack a little bit more than that we're gonna get deeper and deeper um i'm gonna i'm gonna save my like top breaking question at the end what is something you've always wanted to learn about your culture oh that's a really good one you know i think what would i I don't, there's so much that I have yet to know about the culture. Um, but I wish I, I wish it was more of a lived experience for me. Like, I think if I, I, I what I want to learn is I want to learn a day in the life of a Filipino person in the Philippines through my own experiences. You know, like I want to go to the Philippines for a whole year, experience a whole year and not just go for a vacation, not just go for being a tourist or going for the celebrations, but actually living there, the struggles, the challenges, the coming up with, you know, like having to go get your groceries, going to the chandaan, the street foods and all those other things. And like going to the Sari Sari store instead of going to other, to just like, another market, you know, like actually living through that. I, I want to experience that because while, yes, I experienced it 15 years ago, so different now, you know, like now I'm going in as someone who's lived in America for 15 years and it's like, how would I? So that's what I want to learn is that I want to learn a day in the life of a Filipino person, but live the life of a Filipino person. More so like your description is like you're you're more of a you're a native you're you're a visitor in your homeland. Yeah. Yeah. Like I I, I don't wanna go to visit. I wanna go to live in my homeland and see it, you know, and live it. And I I don't I don't know if that one day will come. Um but I hope that I can somewhat go and do that. And, and anything is possible as we can, we have been seeing this past year. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Anything can surprise you one way or another. But I think, I think like if, like if, if anything, like the life of a Filipino before and now, oh, it's really, it's really different. Oh, for sure. For sure. When was the last time you went to the Philippines? 2019. Was that the same year I went? No, I think I went 2018. One year, one year, one year, one year. But it it was, it it was different, you know, like 
comparing it from the time I went, last time I went before that, which was 2012. When was the last time I went? 20, 2013 or 2014, and then four years after 2018. It was definitely so, so different. So, so different. But it was like a good experience, you know? But it was like, again, I went as a tourist. And so I saw the things that I wanted to see and not really the things that I was like, ooh, that's an interesting lifestyle. That's, that's a really interesting point of view. Like, I guess, like, I'm going to go off tangent a little bit. Like, when I went back home, I think mm-hmm. I saw a little bit different. Uh, I, like, you wanted to see a life in a Filipino day in a life. I felt like I left, I lived that because I was stuck in Cagayan with no internet, with no Wi-Fi, with no phone access. So I really had to live like I was there and I was living like an actual, like I, I'm from there. So like seeing how they, where they get their food, seeing like you actually like get the, get the water to like wash the dishes. It's so different. It's so hard. Like you really have to depend on, you have to, it's, it's like, you, you it, it, it wows you how Filipinos become like their, pers- their perseverance of living. Yeah, what is that called? The one that you, the one that you suck. Oh, it's going to bother me. <laughs> oh, shoot. I just call it a well. Yes, there, there's a well. The one that you like pump. How would you call it a pump? But Pumping station. Pagsak duan. Di pagsak duan ti danom. Oh, gosh. Hold on. Oh, what is it? I need to Google this. Pumping. Parao. Huh? No, I don't. Pagsak duan. Oh my god. Wait. Um, Wait, let me let me message Manung Jean. What, yeah, what is it called? I'm so sorry. We're going off on a tangent. I I'm just like it's gonna bother me. Water pump. Bumba. Bumba. Oh my god. Yes. Pagbumbaan. Right. Oh my god. I figured that out and I sent it to Manung Jean. Let me unsend. <laughs> you know, this like this go. This will, this will be edited out. <laughs> or you can keep it. It's like a, like you and I struggling through that together and having to Google tells you about like, can we really identify as Filipino if That's we're true. like struggling, you know? That tells us about our Filipino identity and our Filipino culture and our Filipino knowledge. So you might not need to edit it, you know? That's so, so. true. That's so true. Okay. I'll keep that. But yeah, like what I just said, like, a day in a life in a Filipino is way different. Like how, like I gave them so much courage. Like I think when I, I noticed like my, my nieces and nephew in the Philippines, they were making their home, like they, ha- they have a home ex class and they made their own like, um, like their kitchen stuff. They, they made the online. I was like, you guys are making this. Like you never learned this. In- right, 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 right. Like they're learning things that we don't learn you know like they're learning how to make pagugas they're learning how to make rosaries in classrooms they're learning how to yeah like i remember when i was in second grade like a nun would come to our school because i went to a public school and you know like they came to teach what else they learn how to cook they learn how to clean like they in the classrooms 
We have to clean in the classroom too. Right, like the next day. Like there's custodians, but they clean the 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 whole school. But your own classroom, you clean it on yourself. Like you know, you walis and then you wax the floor and then you dust dust things, and it's it's amazing. You know, like you take pride in that. They learn how to garden, and it's like here you have to take extra classes to learn those, and it's just not embedded, which is different. And I think another part, like as you're talking about. How it's so different because of their struggles is that there's also folks who live such a very different life of um, having quick access. You know, it's like you see, like I want to see folks who are who have access to social media and Wi-Fi, and then those who don't, and like that, the life and the challenges and the the whole dynamic of that, I think, is an interesting thing to study. Into um, an interesting thing to witness for yourself, yeah. Right. I good thing you bring that up because, like, what I mentioned, I was in Cagayan. Like, my niece and my niece and nephew there, they had to if they had to use data, they have to load. They have to yes. use loading. But when, when I came back to Ilocos, where I stay with my cousin's house, they were privileged enough to have Wi-Fi. So right. like that that cultural that difference in the province lifestyle. Right. And it's it's just so interesting because like my, my family in the Philippines, they they're we're fortunate and we're lucky to have Wi-Fi. So that's how we can connect. But at the same time, it's like, you know, I have relatives who have to go to the Changi and, you know, get load, you know, load their phones and their phone numbers just so that they can gain more. Yeah, keep up. But that's also on top of the other things that they have to do. So with this said, then, you know, I want to kind of continue this momentum going. want to keep it harder and harder. Oh, God. But what does it mean for you to reclaim your own Filipino identity? Is this the hardest? Yeah, that's, that's the hardest. <laughs> what does it mean? I don't... And that's my, that's my baseline question. What does it mean to reclaim? I don't, I don't even know if it's about reclaiming because we always have it, you know? Like, we can always claim it. But I think it goes back to, like, what I was talking about. Like, it, was, it has to be a lived experience. And it's not about reclaiming, but reliving. Reclaiming in a sense of not just saying it into word, but putting it into action. So... I'm not, I'm not changing the tagline of reclaiming our Philippine identity, but reclaiming in a sense that defining it as reliving, reclaiming in a sense that re-identifying. Because like what I mentioned, anybody can say that they're Filipino. Anybody can say that they're Ilocano. But not everybody can say that they're Ilocanos who live the Ilocano life. And so... To reclaim our Filipino identity is to live the life of the Filipino folks, to learn the, the culture, to learn about the struggles, to celebrate the victories, but to also stand in solidarity for what is happening to the Filipino culture, whether that means the Filipino culture that you identify with or the Filipino culture that you have to learn. Reclaiming our Philippine identity is 
un, uh, being open to learn and unlearn. Uh, reclaiming Filipino identity is being open to understand that what we know of the Philippines and what it means to be Filipino may be so different now because of what's happening, because of what happened and because of what continues to happen in the Philippines and in the Filipino culture. In that sense of reclaiming your Filipino identity, if you were given the up, you, if you're given the opportunity to explain to your nieces and nephew what is what does being a Filipino mean to you? How would you kind of tell them? Um, I think I would tell them to learn the culture, learn how to cook the food. I think is the easiest way, but living in America, sometimes that's the most we can do, is learning how to cook the food, learning the language, speaking, understand, and writing, just so that it does not die. And just so that it's not just an assimilation to the American culture, but offering a whole new perspective or infusing it into their way of life. I think I would tell them to really strengthen the values of family, continue to strengthen that value of family, continue to strengthen the value of faith, continue to strengthen relationships, language, and continuing to stand in solidarity with Filipinos who may be struggling, but at the same time, celebrating the successes of other Filipinos and supporting them because it's easy for us to be, to say we're Filipinos, but to speak the language so that the language does not go away, to cook the food so that it gets passed on for generation and generation and others can enjoy it, to stand in solidarity, to fight and advocate for our Filipino folks is to get a holistic understanding of what it means to be Filipino. And sometimes that's the best we can do. And speaking in your own experiences, I think that's something that we continue to live on because we have, we have our, our next legacy coming and those are gonna be looking up to us. Because we're yes. gonna be the titos and titas. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Yeah, so it's it's going to be a lot, but I know I know that the culture, the Filipino culture that our generation is sharing to the next generation is not going to be the same because we have included in there a lot of things that we have learned and have learned to unlearn, not just for ourselves, but for the next generations to come. And so it's, they're not just going to get like, oh, Filipinos, this, this is this, 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 and this. But like we have learned the negative negativity of the culture that we are going to stop, you know, 
like I, I, I've, I've, I've been seeing a lot of this meme, not really a meme, but this picture of like the grandparent talking to the daughter and the daughter talking to this, to our generation. And like, this is where it stops, you know? And it's like the talk about the body shaming is going to stop here. The chismis is going to stop here. You know, it's, it's now about like being positive with one another and loving each other. I think that was just perfectly well said and well said. And I kind of wanted to end off with ask with going to our future self or kind of reflecting back is giving your giving your giving your wisdom and knowledge and knowing what you already know now if you had the chance to just time travel back to the past and tell your 12 years old self something about what you recently have learned what would you tell them 12 year old 12 year old oh my god what grade were we sixth grade sixth grade (laughs) sixth grade oh my goodness Continue to live your most authentic self because you will be loved, you will be accepted, you will live, and you will succeed. Never forget who you are, but be the most McEarl you can be. Because if you could see where I'm at now, I think you'd be very proud of me. Oh my God, Chachi. Maria Chachi Abara, there was a lot to unpack in this whole interview. There has been a lot to unpack and there's a lot that I haven't actually known, um, especially with everything that we talked about. Like from before and now, like I, I, I knew from before, like you're, you're, you're going to go somewhere, especially when your openness and your willingness to learn like looking back at all the all the all the all the can i say kids all the youth that you've mentored like they're going they're really inspired by what we what you have created especially being um the president of hssc especially with leading especially with starting this wave um in waipahu like they're all inspired and they're all looking at you like you've made this legacy. You know, I, I'm, I'm fortunate and I'm grateful to have had so many mentors and opportunities. Um, and, I, and I hope that one day I don't just become an inspiration for folks, but I become like a mentor to others as well in their growth and in their learning and in their pursuit. Because right now I'm just hoping to inspire them to get them through the door of like, hey, like believe in yourself. If you believe in yourself, we could get you somewhere and we could work together and I can help you and be there for you so I can say that's that work because like I still remember I think that one conference I remember like I was having like such an identity crisis and you talked me out of it (laughs) I could say you're a really great mentors friend and like I'm really glad that we even though like we came to America like I guess we came to Hawaii like the same year and like not even knowing each other until then I think we really crossed destiny or crossed paths a lot we have crossed paths I'm glad and I'm glad that we have like continued to keep in touch I really appreciate it so yeah thank you so much for having me uh I've learned so much from this conversation you know about myself and the conversation 
and the questions that you ask, you know, like has allowed me to unpack. So thank you so much. Mm-hmm. And feel free um, to ask me any other questions. Um, what inspired you um, to start this podcast? And how do you reclaim your Filipinx identity? <laughs> ha! Try that, Chachi. I never got asked that since the very first beginning of this podcast. I have to think back. <laughs> but I, I guess I can answer the first question first. What inspired me to create this podcast was because I, I felt alone. I felt alone in my struggles. I felt alone where I didn't really know much about our culture because I felt like before when I or before it was like last year I I didn't know where to I didn't know where to go after graduation I don't know what to do um there's just so many opportunities there's just so many doors but I didn't know which one to go to and I saw my phone I saw I saw something to kind of reinvent myself I really wanted something different. I really wanted to change something for the future, the future generation. And it is, we need more stories out there. There's not a lot of Filipinos in Hawaii that have shared their stories. We don't really know much about them. Like we know Filipinos in Hawaii played a very special role um, as, as our history, as no, no one in the continent really know much about the Filipinos in Hawaii, especially the cicadas. I want to bring that to light. I want to, and I feel like that's so important when we learn about the history of Filipinos in America as a whole, um, even though like in spaces that I've been on, Hawaii is technically not an Amer- in America because of the whole history. I think that's it. also another important to bring up is that we, in order, like the entire Filipino world as a whole can be contextualized as so many different things. It's not a monolith. It's a whole, it's a whole other thing to unpack. Um, in so many spaces, Filipinos in the Midwest, Filipinos in the West Coast, East Coast, in Hawaii, in the in Oceania, there's a whole range of Filipinos, and I just I just want I just wanted to create a a platform for those here in Hawaii to just to share that space, and that kind of inspired me. And for me to reclaim my Filipino identity is being able to really take a step back and learn where my family came from to learn that even though we are this we came from this place really learn geographically where we stand from because i feel like for us being able to reclaim something is so crucial Um, it's a way to really tell our stories in our for sure in our own terms <sighs> okay i have one last question oh my let's, 
the Are hardest you question. Over? Are you taking <laughs> over? <laughs> this is this is season seven, right? Season this seven. Is, this is season seven. Lucky number seven, and this is your last oh my episode. God. Lucky number seven, last episode. Um, what have you learned in your seven seasons and different conversations you've brought? So many folks, you've brought a multitude of folks, a diverse pool of people in seven seasons. What have in your conversations with all of us? I get to say us now because I've been a part of it. In your conversations with all of us in seven seasons, what have you learned about yourself being Filipino and what it means to be Filipino? Oh my god! <laughs> what have you learned in our conversations? What have you learned about uh, about uh, well? What did you learn from us? What did you learn about yourself? About being Filipino? About being Filipino and what it means to be Filipino? Oh, this is a hard question. I didn't have you to thought go you made it hard. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna start. I'm gonna start this. I'm gonna start our conversation last because that's a whole other to unpack. (laughs) (laughs) What I've learned about myself with all the different conversation. Honestly, and I'm gonna say this straight honestly. There's still so much to learn. People's stories are so different. Like from season one, season two. Three. From, I'm not even gonna say by seasons, but like just summarizing from season one to seven. There's a whole. There's a. There's so much. There's so much we have to do. There's so much work that we have to do, and what I've learned about myself is that I'm gain so much information that I'm still learning how can I put this out there because there's just so much things that I've learned about from from you from everyone that how can I how can I really get this out like this is all this information that I've had like it feels like how can I how can I give it out there so that people will see it and kind of like take it to where to get them to share their own stories because it really honestly it really healed me because it it really it really told me that you struggled with this you struggled with that there's so many people that still don't know where they're at or they they they're still they don't even know the language here am I, sorry, my sister went, but opened the door. <laughs> but here am I, hearing your story, hearing everyone's stories, and so willingly to be vulnerable, to just say that, even if I don't know what does it mean to reclaim my own identity, here's what I know so far. And, it, and it's with that, me asking those tough questions, getting them to really oh, I didn't really think about this in this light or this angle. And, like, bringing all of them together, it 
made me kind of it, it reassured my entire mission into why I built this. And what I've learned from today and from this conversation is that especially like hearing from you is we are so similar yet different. We are so similar where we're both immigrants. We both came from Hawaii. We have immigrant parents. We have this, we have similar struggles, but we're different because the way we, the way we kind of, um, I guess, see things or the way that is brought to us is um, really different, but that's what makes us that's what compliments us. For sure. For sure. Oh my god. Uh, that, was, that was so much. <laughs> and I think... I, I, I mean, I'm not going to end the podcast because it's not my podcast. But I think I'm going to end my part. And what my I think my last parting words is that I think uh, as we all grow in age, we grow in wisdom. And as we grow in wisdom, we have we grow in our understanding of ourselves. And so with that said, we have to give ourselves the much needed grace and the much needed love. As we continue to unpack, as we continue to learn and we continue to unlearn. Like what you said, we have yet to learn so much about ourselves. I don't know who I am wholeheartedly. I know parts of me. But that means that other folks are on that same boat of not fully knowing who they are, but they're moving towards learning about themselves as they're getting older and wiser themselves. But I think our generation just struggles with that because it's like, I have to know now. I ha- it's this, this sense of urgency and feeling like they've failed because they haven't reached a destination when life isn't about the destination. It's about the journey and as we're going through this journey of life, we have to give ourselves the much-needed grace, the much-needed love, whatever that may mean. You know, like it's about telling ourselves, it's okay that you failed this one thing. It's okay you don't know yet, you will know. You know, and it's about like, it's okay to see a mental health counselor, it's okay to see this, it's okay. Like that grace and love and that Thank you so much for sharing that with me, Tachi. And thank you for having me be a part of this. <laughs> I had so much fun. And so I did too. Thank you so much for your time. <laughs> Appreciate it. I look forward to our next conversation. I know. Okay, let me...